Welcome to the Reflective Teacher Podcast, brought to you by the Jewish United Fund of Chicago. I'm Martha Weil, and together with my real-life co-teacher and co-host, Lindsay Elliott, we're bringing you interviews with experts in early childhood education. We hope these stories will inspire you and give you that aha moment that we as teachers find so refreshing and clarifying. Over the course of this episode, we hope you'll reflect and make connections that will help you bring intention and motivation to your classroom each day. Our guest on today's episode is Amelia Troutman. She's the manager of education at the Cole Children's Museum here in Illinois and has years of experience implementing and teaching the project approach. I first met Amelia when she led a training on the project approach at Cole. I was blown away by how much it turns out I didn't know about doing project-based work with young children. I learned so much from Amelia and I can't wait for you to hear our in-depth overview of the project approach. So without any further ado, here is our interview with Amelia Troutman. All right. So to get started, Amelia, would you mind giving us a little bit of background information about your experience um, with the project approach and just how you got into it? Yeah, so um, I actually started, I was a pre-K teacher in Chicago, Um, and so I was part of a Head Start program, and I would say in the Head Start program, I bordered on project, but never fully embraced it, because we had a lot of other things going on, and I was a newer teacher, Um, so I did some of the skills that you'll see in Project Approach, but I didn't really do it to really see true projects or work with true projects until I came to the Cole Trump Museum. And here at the museum, they've been doing project work since 2001 um, with district as well as like um, child care center and home care providers um, for many years. And so I really have gotten to see through my work here the project approach in multiple different classrooms. So we have different programs that are available and through that we've been able to kind of work with a lot of different teachers in the project approach and see it in their classroom. Well, that's so awesome. I'm kind of surprised to hear that you didn't have experience in it before. How did you start working um, at Kohl's in the education department? Yeah, so um, in Cole, when I first started, I came here and was doing like some of the lesson planning and things like that, and then an opportunity came up to be able to be part of the program. Um, and then through the program, then I've been working with the program for three years now, um, just working with different classrooms. And in the program, we have a couple different things. So we have trainings that we do, but we also have fellowships where we go into the classrooms and assist fellows, um, as well oh, wow. as just observing classrooms. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool. Can you give a little bit of history about just the project approach in general and like its background? Yeah, so the project approach as it is like today um, really kind of came out in about 1989. Lillian Katz and Sylvia Chard published um, Engaging Children's Minds, the project approach. And they actually at the time had not heard of Reggio Emilio, but it does connect really close right. to Reggio Emilio. Um, but at the time they didn't know that until after they'd written it. So they'd written it at that time. And then over time, they also um, both had connections to different universities, University of Illinois, University of Alberta, um, and so they had those connections as well, and were working with teachers through that. And then um, other teachers, like Lillian Katz, had a lot of focus on the research and the philosophy of the approach, while you see like Sylvia Char, Judy Harris-Helm, Pam Scranton, Sally Benneke, um, they all really focused in on how to guide teachers into implementing the project 
But the divergence is in that Reggio really focuses more on the whole program, like how your environment should look, how your schedule should look, um, and more is a more full-out curriculum versus the project approach is something that could be embedded into any curriculum. So a lot of times we do see the project approach being used in a Reggio program. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons that I loved it and was surprised by it so much because the kind of way to enter into the project approach, you don't have to have like a Reggio, like be from a Reggio program. You don't have to have all that other stuff down, but this is such a great way, I feel like, to get in some like really nice, like intrinsically motivated learning going on in your classroom, no matter what kind of school or classroom you have. Yeah, and we've seen a lot of teachers across different curriculums and things like that find ways to be able to embed that into what they're already doing, so it's been cool to see. Yeah, and I think I spoke a little bit about this with you um, when I was doing the course, but beforehand, I was like, oh, okay, we're doing the project approach. I know, like, what that is, and I was like, this is going to be, like, listen to the children's interests and, like make sure you like write it down and observe and then like uh, try and then extend. But like I came out of it knowing so much more like and having tools that I actually could use and like confidence to do a project and then having actually done the project that me and my co-teacher ended up doing was so also confidence building for me. And so that's part of the reason why I want people to like hear about this on the podcast because I feel like it's so it's this is a little bit different than I think what you normally think of when you think of the project approach in the settings that I've been in. There's a lot to it, a lot of components. So I would love to hear a story about um, a successful project that you have experience with. Yeah, so I'm glad to hear that. I mean, we talked about it, of course, um, on the final day of the training as well, but I'm glad to hear that it left that impact with you as well. And I definitely think that's something that there's a lot of misconception and around the use of the word project. And so it gets used in, like, I do projects around my house, but that's very different than what it means in text of the project approach. I was going to say, to kind of give an example of um, a project, there was one that I worked with one of our fellows on this past year, mm-hmm. and um, she, in the, in the past, had done projects with older children, and it, this was a home daycare provider, and this time she was doing it, all she had were twos, and so she was really, you know, how am I going to do a project with twos, and um, she's like, I've only done older and older you know they can verbalize what they want to do and what they want to see and so how would I find their interest so we really started to talk about well what do you see them playing with what do you see them doing you know how do you see their interests evolving and she was talking about how they were really drawn to cars during playtime especially the younger of the two um and their favorite song was wheels on the bus the kids always got really excited about it um there's this yellow and black car that would drive by or park sometimes in front of the house and they would always go to the window and run and go the car is here we see it they especially like to see it when it drove by I think it drove pretty fast so (laughs) they like that aspect of it um and so kind of in that just beginning to identify that topic a lot of times it feels like it has to be something that is super complex or it might feel that it's something that you know has to the students have to verbalize it, and especially with younger, that may not always be possible. 
Um, but it, can, it comes a lot from watching what they're interested in. Right. And then with that, she saw the interest was cars and transportation and things like that. But for younger children, that would be a pretty broad topic yes. to investigate. For a theme, you could do a theme on it, but to really investigate it. So she is a teacher, and you'll see this a lot more, especially in a younger classroom, took on a little bit of the role to help them narrow it and narrow it more into their focus specifically on the wheel part of the car, that movement piece that they were really fascinated with. Oh, okay, so they ended up being more interested in the wheels. Mm-hmm, and just like the movement of how they move and how the wheels move the car and things like that. I see. That kind of took a narrowing. And I think, too, I think here it's really important and something that I, like, came away really loving about this was that it's okay for the teacher to really initiate, like, a lot of these things that they're seeing. Yeah, I think part of the hard part is is the balance between who's really the, who's driving it forward, because sometimes it feels like um, that the students have to have all the answers or the teachers have to have all the answers, but it's a very collaborative process, and it comes out of seeing the student interest, but the teacher's still facilitating pieces of it. And when I say facilitating, I don't mean, you know, standing in front of them, talking at them, but maybe, you know, when they were interested in the wheels, well, she started bringing in stuff that had wheels in it. So it wasn't that the children had to do it. The teacher brought that in as a provoking aspect to kind of help continue to see what they were interested in and continue to kind of get questions and things. So the teacher can take on those pieces of kind of helping to move it along um, as long as it's still focused in on what the kids wanted to do. Like if instead the teacher was like, you know what, I don't really like cars. I would rather do, you know, a project right. on pets. And so I'm going to bring in a bunch of pets. That would be going the wrong direction. But if it's moving it along with what the kids are interested in, then the teacher can definitely kind of put things in or prompt the students with different things that kind of take that investigation deeper. Right. And I think, I do think that a lot of teachers get caught up in like, okay, so I think my kids are really interested in cars, but they're not coming to me. They're just doing the same things. So what am I supposed to do with that? But then I think where it's great is like you're saying, the teacher can bring in different different ideas around that topic and that can push things forward and that's totally okay. I feel like it has to naturally continue to evolve, but in order to evolve, giving those different opportunities. Yes, exactly. And I was hoping that you might have a story that went through like the phases of um, like more um, in depth of uh, a project. Yeah. So, I mean, for example, with this wheel project, so yes. phase one, they're identifying that topic coming from the student interest. Um, the focusing activities was doing different songs. Um, she brought in some more artifacts. They actually had tricycles in the backyard, so they did some work with those as well. Um, and they started to really kind of look at that car and track when it was coming by. And so that was kind of their building experiences. She also kind of reached out to parents during that focusing time to help build experiences at home. Oh, that's and great. And then she was doing the webbing. Yes. Um, yeah, so with the webbing aspect, she had younger students. So once again, that there was kind of that of like how am I going to do a web with younger students and it's a graphic organizer um, so she actually found a book that she had on wheels and she used that kind of as a launching point to kind of like you said where sometimes the teacher might step in and help with some of that facilitation so she kind of used it as a launching point for them to talk about the things that they were seeing on the pages and then the things that they saw in their toys and use that to kind of help form that web with them oh um, okay that's so smart younger 
Okay, so yeah, that's perfect. A way to do it with younger children is to use like lots of visuals, maybe a book or something that they really like looking at to help you kind of pinpoint the things that they're interested in on the web, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so either having objects available to them or having books available to them, things that help them where, especially if they're not forming full sentences yet, it gives them those prompts. And when you think about it, even as adults, sometimes having an extra visual prompt can help us think of more things that we want to talk about. Totally. I'm sitting here with like a whole thing of notes. So, um, and then too, like in my classroom, we wrote the webs and our kids, most of them couldn't read any of the words, but um, I would say almost all of them couldn't read any of the words, but they knew because we were saying like, okay, we're going to make a web on pillows because we were studying pillows and what do you like what are the parts of the pillow what are you wondering like they understood all the things that we were doing and then we as teachers were able to use that web with them that even though it just had writing on it they were like more on board I guess so with older children it's okay to also write the web too right yeah, so you might, so especially as you go up in grades, like this is a toddler class, you know, versus we see more in the preschool class, like the teacher might be, you know, writing everything on the web as the students are saying it, and just that validation of I just said something and you just wrote it down, Right. that connection piece is really powerful, um, and then sometimes I've even seen where the kids kind of get to do their own drawings next to what they said, or um, for the older kids, oh, like when cool. you're, especially we have teachers that do like first, second, third grade projects, and at that point, those kids are starting to learn those graphic organizers. So like in a third grade classroom, they might, each child might do their own individual web because right. they're learning about graphic organizers. Oh, that's amazing. So it can really develop. <laughs> yeah, because then, and, and hopefully at that point, they've been doing it so much that to them, it's such a useful mm-hmm. tool. I mean, to us, it was so useful. And you mentioned focusing activities, and I and a web is is a web kind of a focusing activity. Coming back to the web, so you can do it kind of at the beginning when you're trying to find out what they want to know, and then you can use it later on to refocus and come back to this is what we talked about at the beginning that you know what do we know now or right. what are questions that we had at the beginning. You can kind of go back to it as a reference point throughout the project. Got it. Let's talk about. A little bit more about how, like deciding on the appropriateness of a topic. Yeah, choosing the best topic, I would say I just was doing interviews with some of our mentors who've done projects for many years, and all of them picked it as one of the most difficult things <laughs> in a project. It's not once it takes off and the kids are interested, it's really finding a good topic. Yeah. Um, and that can be hard for a variety of reasons. One, it could be, you know, you think the kids are interested in it, but it turns out it's just kind of a short lived interest. Um, or it might be an interest that they have, like a cartoon or something that, you know, is just really popular at the time, but maybe wouldn't make a good project. Like we saw a lot of like Paw Patrol interest, but that necessarily in and of itself, the show would be really hard for the kids to set up. They physically could go and see where that show was being made. Right. Um, so that definitely is hard from the interest of kind of figuring out one, what the kids are interested in, two, finding something that's enough in their immediate everyday lives that they'll continue to have references because a lot of times when something fizzles out it's because it's something that they for a short period of time had access to or reference to and then it's not happening around them anymore yes. um, but when a lot of times when we've seen projects that are things that are just in their everyday life especially the younger the child the more it needs to be in their everyday life 
projects that are just in their everyday life, like we see cars, balls, stuff like that pops up a lot, water, buildings, because those are things that are always around them. And so those things definitely tend to stick more just because it's something they constantly are exposed to. You know, walk a day in that child's shoes, what things do they see every day? Yeah. And try and keep it, especially the younger, the closer to that everyday routine that they, what they see. Got it. Once you have a topic in mind, let's say, uh, we then use that tool that you had showed us. Um, it's like that big list with all the experts and the artifacts and the field sites. Um, did that have a name? Yeah, so you're talking about kind of the project planner, where like as a group, we kind of went through and tried to come up with some different things. Yes. Um, like, okay, if we're doing a topic on buildings, who could our experts be? Yes. So we had a column. Yeah, with, that's just yeah. kind of, a, um, we call it like a project planner. It just allows you to kind of in a table sense, kind of chart out where could we go in these different ways. Yeah, so and then it's like usually about parent involvement, so yes. ways that you could get parents, but that sometimes overlaps with the other areas. Like how can we also get parents involved in those different areas as well? Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, it just helps you get like that full idea of where it could go and those great things like parent involvement, um, at least it puts it in your mind so that you can start to think about like a plan. And then I guess another thing I want to talk about is that I'm sure teachers see all the time um, is like there'll be one or two kids who are just so interested in the project, but like nobody else is really that into it or they, they are and then they aren't. And is that okay? So we've definitely seen, um, I mean, it depends size of your classroom. Generally in order for it to be less work for you as a teacher, we usually say if you can have around half at least interested, even initially or, you know, through some of your focusing activities, you're seeing, you know, kids coming over. That can be a really great way to be able to continue to move it forward. That said, a lot of times in a classroom, there is one or two children that almost take on a leadership role within right. the project. And they really continue to drive it forward. And, you know, that can happen just like as adults. We kind of wane in and out of interest. The key piece of the project is that kids are able to opt into different areas that they're interested in. Um, so, for example, with the wheel project, one of the children, he was very interested, but the other child wasn't as interested, but then she went roller skating one weekend. Well, you know, roller skates have wheels, and so then that interest peaked again for that child, and so it can definitely go in waves as well. I think sometimes there's this feeling that everybody, 100% participation, which may happen, right? but, you know, everybody's unique, and part of the project approach and even Reggio is really focusing on that uniqueness and so understanding that different children may want to opt in and out at different times. That's so important too because like as soon as you start forcing kids to do things that's when the kind of spark and the love for learning gets dulled so I think it's really important to not force. Yeah and there's definitely different ways to connect with different students about different pieces of the project. Like, I even remember from your fellow project, there were students who were interested in sewing that may have not been interested in another part of the project. But exactly. they got really excited when that sewing machine was there. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then, I guess, moving on to phase two, um, you talked a little bit about re-examining a web and saying, like, this is what we knew when we started, when we started investigating this. Now what do we know? Now what are we wondering? Um, can you talk a little bit more about, like, kind of a refocusing um, yeah, activity so and stuff like that? Definitely. So for phase two, a big 
get out of phase one, not only is the web of what the children know, but what they want to investigate. And that might come out of the questions, like gaps in knowledge that you see. Um, for example, like the children were trying to roll stuff that wouldn't roll down ramps, you know, so that's definitely something to investigate as they get into phase two, or they were more curious about their tricycles, so maybe we start to investigate more around wheels and bikes in phase two. Um, so it's really kind of getting from those focusing activities, what other things that the children want to know more about or what they want to know deeper about that topic. And then in phase two, those those opportunities to learn more about it. So for example, a lot of times in phase two, it can feel like you know, almost the web explodes, right? And it goes in so many different directions. And so mm-hmm. it can sometimes help to go back to your web to refocus or go back to those questions and really focus in on what did they want to know about and how can we help them answer them? Right. So for example, with the um, for the wheels, they actually, the students went on a field site and they went and visited a bike shop. Yeah, And awesome. it was actually a bike shop that originally was not open to children. They mostly worked with older, like high school students and stuff, but the teacher reached out to them and said, hey, you know, they're really interested in wheels and the movement of wheels and they've been interested in their tricycles. Is there anything that you guys could provide for them or experiences or talk to them about what they want to know about movement and wheels and so they were awesome and so they did adapt this high school program down for two-year-olds and had so many different types of wheels available for the children that they wouldn't have had at their um at their home they didn't have that option and so it just gave them a lot more options to explore with and sometimes that can actually help if you're feeling like you're in a little bit of a rut is getting more artifacts either from an or field site mm-hmm. and so the students got really excited about that and in addition we even saw some of them starting to draw some of the things that they saw on the field site um back in the classroom safety they like the kids remembered that they had to put helmets on when they rode their tricycle so they wanted to see all the helmets that they had there so cool um, and so that field work is a tricky piece in the fact that a lot of times they think that it's um similar to a field trip Right. Um, but a field trip doesn't always have the research assigned to it. So a field trip, you're going somewhere, you might have fun. You know, here at the museum, lots of people come on field trips. They go and have fun and explore different areas. But a field site visit or when you're doing field work is defined as students are working. They're investigating something. So they have a specific goal in mind that they want to learn more about. Something that you guys talked about that was really interesting was that, like, preparing your class piece for the difference between like a field trip and field work. And then what you might do is like, you might sketch at your, during your field work. Mm-hmm. And you might um, use other ways of like measuring or like gathering data as you're, um, as you're investigating in the field. Yeah, so sketching's a big part. Um, students taking their own photographs, which a lot of times on field trips you see like, a parent might take it or a teacher and it's like all the kids smiling, but on a, when they're doing a field site, they really want to investigate. So they're taking pictures of the things they see. Um, or, and even if it is a parent volunteer or a teacher taking pictures, they're taking pictures of what the children are doing and what they're seeing, what they're investigating. Oh. Um, for the wheel project, the students didn't realize that in order to roll, wheels had to be inflated, that a flat wheel didn't roll as well. And so that came up. And then they became fascinated with how to pump up the wheel. And so we took video of them pumping up the wheels. And then when they got back to the classroom, that they could talk more about that. And then the teacher even brought in a chair to bike pump, you know, to also have them explore with. 
Yes, that's awesome. And I think, like, kind of like you were saying before, with like looking at the gaps in in knowledge, I think you can use the not necessarily a gap, but if you look at their pictures of what they took, that's going to inform you if you let the children take their own pictures. And then if also if you look at their sketches, that might inform you of a gap. Well, okay, this child is missing like all of this detail. They need maybe we need to go back and and that sort of thing. And I think that's another really important piece of project work because like we were saying teachers can get like really nervous that kids aren't coming to them and like it's not obvious what they should be um working on or what the next step should be but again i think all these all these tools help you then plan and see what the next step should be it just is a little less obvious i think than than people think it is yeah and a lot of times it it may not even be a sketch it might come out in the children's Play. And, right. um, for example, the children started to look at, like, look for valves, because that was another thing that came to you to pump it up. That, you know, all these things that started to come out that weren't there before, but it came in their play. Yeah. Um, and so that's another big piece is just kind of seeing how their play evolves and the things they're saying, the things they're doing, and how that kind of evolves with it as well. It could also be, if it's not a sketch, it could be a painting or it could be, you know, Play-Doh or something else that they make that's kind of a representation of what they're seeing. Right. Representations are really important for the teacher and the student in like measuring and gathering data and moving moving the project forward. Yeah, I mean, we had a teacher that did a bug project and kind of seeing how they represented these bugs they learned about kind of let her know which parts they were really focusing on, which parts they maybe need to know more about. <laughs> right. I just think that that's so awesome that it happens like that instead of just like kids coming to you being like, I want to know this, I want to know that, because I think that's really what people think it needs to be, but it's really a more subtle thing. So, and moving on into getting into phase three, so like, how do you know when it's time to move on? Yeah, so when you're going from phase two to phase three, it's kind of looking, using that, like we said, like that web, that question list, if you're going back to that reference point and you see, you know, majority of their questions have been answered and, you know, it's still in their play, but maybe it's not coming up every day. We're not seeing it as prominent as it once was. Um, maybe their interest, you start to see them move on to something new. And sometimes it's just the end of the school year and the kids are about to leave your classroom. And so that makes it time. Right. Um, and so kind of knowing when it's time is just look, kind of once again watching them, looking back at your tools that you've used, seeing if everything's been answered. And then sometimes it just gets cut off. But then kind of looking at all that documentation that you gathered in phase two. So anything from your field work the kids did, any of their representations, any notes that you have from their play, you know, their web, looking at all the documentation that you have and kind of getting an idea of, okay, maybe we have a lot of visual documentation. So maybe this would be a gallery or maybe, you know, it came out a lot in their play. So maybe they would want to do something where they invite their parents in and, um, explore together. Like I've seen that where the children did a stuffed animal project and they just wanted, you know, to have a target. <laughs> and their uh-huh. parents came to target with them in their classroom. Um, but really figuring out kind of what you have available and then showing that with the students. That's another big piece here. Are all these pictures from when our expert came in and they told us all these different things. Here are all these pictures from our field site. How do you want to share them? And finding out sometimes they want to make a book. Um, sometimes they want to put it, you know, into kind of a movie. I've seen that done as well. It kind of depends on the students. Sometimes they want to present. 
I think one of my favorite ones from this past year was the teacher's classroom. She, you know, showed them, this is what we've learned. This is all the stuff that you guys have done. You know, you can take a look at it. And she asked them how they wanted to share it. And they just wanted to have an ice cream party and look at it all. And invite <laughs> people in to look at it while eating ice cream. And so that's what they did. And so really looking at their input on it because it's their opportunity to share out. Yes. And then planning for that based on that input that they have, you know, what would I need to make this happen? Who would I need? Do I need help from any parents or other staff? So I think that when you, when you first of all, leave it to them to say, how do you want to share what we learned? And also a lot of times when you are sharing it with the greater community, you're like spreading awareness of the capability of children and just of the work that they've done. Yeah, it definitely helps bring them together. And in terms of the community, it helps not only just the children in that opportunity to share, but the community, like you said, to understand the competency of the children in your classroom. Like I know, especially when they went on the field saying their expert were, you know, these people who work with bikes, who work with much older students, they were surprised and they didn't realize how much a younger student is capable of. And so even those opportunities to work with the community and in culmination, the way to thank them, you know, by bringing them back in, it, it creates more of that community sense that in Reggio they're really looking for, right, is to have a lot more community involvement. And so finding ways to continue to involve the community and the children's learning, this can be a really nice piece to bring them back into the ice cream party or whatever you're doing right. um, for them to be involved as well. Yeah, I think that's so awesome. And um, just throughout the whole process, I think some teachers might struggle with what times of day do I get to do project work and um, do I need to make time in my schedule for that? And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to that. Yeah, I definitely think especially like your first projects and stuff, there's a lot of anxiety about almost needing to implement it everywhere all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've seen it be very successful where it's just one time a week or a couple times a week. Sometimes, you know, it's just during a particular block or, you know, we're going to do it during um, our morning meeting this time or just it's an area in their centers, you know, and one of the areas that they can explore that they go to. Um, But it doesn't take over the whole classroom, and I think that's one of those main differences is the project approaches. A project is something that's happening in the classroom but doesn't take over the whole curriculum that's happening. Right. So it can just be happening in a small piece of the classroom over that extended period of time. Right. And I think, too, it's really important for teachers that um, need to meet, like, uh, standards, um, mm-hmm. learning standards, to think about, like, how you can extend it. And maybe you can speak more to this, but I guess my idea would be, like, if you have – this is your math block – what from the topic you've been studying can you do during that time that fits into math – and it does involve more planning on your part to get creative, but um, I think that would be a great way to do it. I don't know about what you've seen done in the past, though. Yeah, I think another skill that kind of comes up with projects that would help with that kind of transitioning, like, okay, if I'm saying I'm doing it during math time, how do I share that it's during math? Kind of goes back to even when you're beginning the project is that teacher planning piece is planning ahead of time. Okay, if this is the authentic activity I'm going to do, what are all the different areas of this how does this, this authentic activity, this topic, connect to all these different domains? And that's something that we usually ask our teachers to do before they really web with their students is take time to web yourself and think about all the ways that it can connect. Um, and that can definitely help ahead of time, thinking about, oh, yeah, like I've seen shoe projects and they connect to math super easy. I mean, anytime a child is sorting, 
that is math right there. So there's a lot of different areas that it can connect, but taking that time to plan it ahead of time can help. Right. And then also in terms of documentation throughout the whole process, there's obviously the children's um, representation of things. But then what about the teacher? Like, what should the teacher be doing and how, how might that look throughout the whole process? Yeah, a big piece of documentation is not just taking the documentation, which sometimes, and I, I was guilty of this in my classroom, I would take a lot of photos mm-hmm. and that would almost be overwhelming to weed through. So I'd have a ton of photos, but I wouldn't take as much time to really reflect on those photos or reflect on a video or a piece of documentation such as, you know, a child's artwork and what that really meant and what I was really seeing and what the child was doing. And so really taking that time not only to document and have documentation taken throughout either by the teacher or maybe you see if a parent can come in and help or if you're fortunate to have a co-teacher or assistant, maybe they help you take some documentation, but also really taking the time to reflect and evaluate documentation because sometimes we take a lot of it, but we don't actually take the time to reflect on it. Right. Really look at what's the most valuable pieces that I have from each student. Okay, that's amazing. So parent involvement, we talked a little bit about that planning sheet Um, the project planning chart and um, how that's a great way to find out how parents can be involved. Yeah, so parent involvement, um, it's key. I mean, especially if you're doing it in a regio setting, you want to involve the community as much as possible. But it's key throughout the project. So first thing is even just once when you're trying to identify a topic, I've seen teachers send home to parents, like, what is your child interested in? What do they play with at home? To give them even more information on top of what they have in the classroom, especially if you have a classroom that's pretty regimented in what you have to do Mm -hmm. or you don't really have a ton of time to explore and watch children as they free play a lot of times finding out from parents or family members how they play at home and what they play Um, the other thing in parent involvement can be helpful is surveying parents so getting surveys for information like um, I've seen in like a lot of times in pet projects they ask parents about the pets that they have at home you know what do you have at home that's available and so kind of getting them involved in some of that focusing activities. And then also, especially when you're trying to make a list of experts, field sites, where can we go? Who can come and help us? Using your parents either to be experts or even to be a field site, like for a gardening project, if that someone's house is really nearby and they have a great garden, they can be an expert and a field site right there. Um, but also pulling them for other people. So I've seen a lot of teachers who have been able to get not just Maybe it wasn't a parent, but it's their cousin or somebody a little more removed or their neighbor that they know, who they knew somebody. And it's just expanding that circle of who you have access to by letting your parents know as well what you're looking for in terms of an expert or even a field site. Or it might be that there's a field site like your kids are exploring restaurants and they want to see the local restaurant and they say no, but actually the parent knows the owner. And now when the parent asks, sure, you can come on in. So that can be another great way to involve parents, or even when you're doing the field site, having parents come along for that can be a great piece. Or in younger classrooms, sometimes you can't do a field site. So I've seen classrooms where that's almost a homework assignment. They ask parents, hey, can you take pictures of your child doing X, Y, and Z or visiting this place? And so that can be another great way to kind of involve parents and bring it back into the classroom. And then as well, you know, in that phase three, when they're culminating and sharing out, making sure that parents have that opportunity to come and see everything. Yes. And I remember you spoke about something that was really interesting to me that I had never thought about, about like how the way you present the information could speak to different parents. I I remember you talked about like using a graph to display something instead of 
how you would have normally thought to do it, just because that might speak to a parent who's really more connects with numbers. Yeah, definitely when you're thinking about that culmination piece and just, or just even, you know, if you're doing um, portfolios or just doing conferences with parents, similar to students, adults have their own interests too, and they have things that draw them in that they're interested in, things that they're not interested in. So making sure that you kind of accommodate that to your parents and knowing what they want to see and what they're interested in can help make that connection deeper just as it can with our students. Yes. And then um, just to wrap up, teacher takeaways. So just we want to kind of touch on what we think are like the most important um, things to take away from the project approach. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the main things, and then even just it comes immediately in phase one, is just making sure that there is, even if it can't be the whole classroom, a piece of the classroom that's really connected to student interest and what they want to learn about. Um, similar as adults, children, they get more excited when it's something they actually want to learn about. And so being able to connect that into a classroom, even if it is a little more of a rigid structure, having that opportunity to connect in, and then having that observation piece, really observing your students, not only helps with the project approach, but helps just in assessment and just, you know, helping your students develop throughout, but that's a huge piece of it as well, is really observing those students, and then also having documentation to keep you accountable. So having a web that you can go back to, having, you know, your own notes, photos, things like that, that you can really be looking at, reflecting, and continuing to refine, just like you want to refine your teaching process. You want to make sure that you're doing that with your students as well. That's amazing. Yes, I think, and I had the web webs too as just like such a great mm-hmm. focusing activity. And then, of course, I was just so into that the project can be teacher initiated. I also had it's okay for children to lose interest in topics throughout the process and this can help inform you for like your next move in the whole in the whole process um and then my last one was just that um experts and field sites are a great way to like propel things forward and um help you utilize parent volunteers um which is awesome for parent involvement in your classroom yeah and it usually will re-spark the interest you know because all of a sudden you gave them another experience yeah, and like move it in more ways and than you had initially thought even. So this was amazing. Thank you so much for talking to us. Um, you were like the most knowledgeable person. <laughs> but yeah, we were just so happy we were able to make this work. Of course, and thank you both for having me. Of course. Have a great day, Amelia. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, I know we'd asked you just about... Um, anything that you wanted to share with um, people about like how they could reach you or how they could reach or get in touch with like Coles for the um, course. Um, Is there any information that you want to share? Yeah, I mean, specifically around this initiative, um, we have our projectapproachconnections.org website that has lots of examples of past projects. Like we have lists of experts and things for different topics and um, resources we have. a free PDF version of our past projects of Chicagoland, so that's just a bunch of different examples of projects, phases one, two, and three. And um, so that has a lot of resources, projectapproachconnections.org. Um, another way to get in contact, either regarding like this topic or if it's you know a related topic, is through our website, culturalmuseum.org. We do have professional developments that are available, um, either grant-based or um, for fee, depending, you know, the center or school situation. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much for for talking with me. 
Of course. Have a great day, Amelia. You too. Bye-bye. So that's our show. Just a quick note that the Project Approach teacher training is just one of many amazing professional development opportunities that Cold Children's Museum offers, and right now, all of their course offerings are completely virtual. For more info on their current trainings, head over to www.thereflectiveteacherpodcast.com. That's our website, and on it we post show notes for each episode and resources so you can learn more about each topic we discuss. While you're there, make sure you subscribe to our mailing list so you can stay up to date on all things Reflective Teacher Podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram at the Reflective Teacher Podcast or find us on Facebook under the same name. Thanks for listening.